Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the 43rd edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Notice how adeptly I managed to keep count of the number of editions we've had so far. It was so difficult until I started attaching a player's uniform number to it and committing that to memory. So last week it was number 42 in honor of Eddie Lowe. This week, number 43, Ted Ernest. We lost Ted uh, sadly late in, uh, in 2018, 81 years old, this Hall of Famer, just a wonderful, wonderful man. So number 43, Ted Ernest, we're honoring him today. And uh, we're very honored to have with us 2007 Grey Cup champion, defensive tackle with, <laughs> <laughs> with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Tony Plater, uh, formerly uh, in communications, formerly in football operations with the Rough Riders and uh, always one of the uh, terrific people to deal with anywhere you run into them in the city or in Saskatchewan. So, Tony, thanks so much for taking some time. It's a pleasure to be here, Rob. I've uh, watched uh, 42 of these, and they were very good. Oh. And I think from 44 on, they'll be even better. <laughs> <laughs> We've really sold this one, haven't we? Yes. Um, we, we decided we're going to do a couple of theme shows back-to-back. Uh, this week's theme, and we advertised it a bit last week, is on Favorite Rider Memories, which is probably a documentary as much as it is a podcast. And then next week, we're going to talk about favorite rider players. So um, uh, this week, we're going to delve into the past. And, and Tony was so integrally involved with some of the really cool things we're going to talk about. So it's uh, it's great that he's uh, with us today to provide some firsthand recollections of, of some of the subject matter that we're going to be addressing. Uh, we, last week, we put out a call for some rider memories that, that fans wanted to share. We got a couple of responses. Uh, Drew Hunter sent me a note. Uh, Drew Hunter, the former U of R Cougars basketball player, former Luther Lions senior boys basketball coach, member of the uh, uh, legendary Regina Hunter family, not the Hunter brothers that sing. Um, <laughs> he told me a story about how they, they made a Grey Cup, a replica Grey Cup that weighed about 40 pounds, and they, uh, they decided to really show it off the first home game after the 2013 Grey Cup. And uh, so here they are going down the, down the underpass uh the, by the near the stadium and it rained a lot and they got flooded so here they are at the bottom of the underpass unable to get out with this 40 pound gray cup but how do you <laughs> how do you move this thing so they um uh, we had to pass it up over our heads one guy at a time in order to get it up the ledge and over the underpass this always reminds me of the insanity of the sports fans and in this case rider fans there we would not be denied and there was no going back we would sit in our down in the downpour with our Grey Cup reveling in last year's title for at least one more game. I uh, got another one from, uh, uh, where is it here? Kirk Winter. And Kirk, uh, he talked about the 1989, 1989 playoff run in its entirety. And uh, uh, riders, there was a Brian, Brian Walling draw play to beat Calgary. And then there was the miraculous unexpected win over Edmonton and then there was the classic Grey Cup so I'll, I think all three games are right from 1989 are stories in and of themselves so that's I knew 89 would come up pretty early what are your what are your memories of that Tony I was lucky to go to the uh, the western final oh cool uh, 
the uh, and uh, what what an amazing game that was. You know, we were the underdogs, and and for our our riders, the 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 lovable losers for all those years to come up and just punch the Eskimos in the nose was a great feeling. What a real high! And then the Grey Cup game. Well, that's probably this, my second favorite Grey Cup game. Uh, 2007 being my first, uh, the 89, thinking of, you know, that Tony champion catch and then how we just battled back and with Kent in the, in the, in the huddle and, and then Dave and, and Glenn Suter, uh, with that game winning field goal. It was just, uh, you know, an amazing feeling that, uh, those type of memories and, and those feelings never leave you. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now. The, those are special moments in sports that, uh, that we've been lucky to be part of. And it's been 30 years, and yet it's still it is still so vivid. Oh, it's it, it, you can see the the time out, and I love the story about uh, where Dave tells Glenn, "Talk to me about anything but football," and whatever they talked about, uh, it calmed Dave down. And uh, you know, it, for us, it looks like a chip shot, but the pressure that he had on him, it was probably very similar to what Paul McCallum had in that. Uh, a game against BC, but Dave was able to make the magic. In 2007, when you were with the Rough Riders for the Grey Cup uh, victory, um, I decided to go stand on the very spot where Dave Ridgway kicked the field goal. And uh, and Dr. Bill Elliott took my picture standing on that very spot, which was kind of cool. And uh, I looked at the uprights. And 35 yards, Dave Ridgway could have kicked that left-fielded blindfolded. I mean, it was Dave Ridgway with a pressure kick. It was going to happen. and uh, But you look at the uprights from 35 yards away, and they look like a tuning fork. It's like that. <laughs> it, that's not that easy to do. For Dave Ridgway, it's you know, ho-hum. But add the pressure. I looked at it and just, I wonder what he was thinking when he looked at those uprights. Did he look at those uprights? That much easier kicks than that have been missed in, in pressure situations. And uh, But... The thing is, I've always wondered, this might be a bit of a tangent, what if he'd missed and it went for a single? Would people celebrate the single as much as the kick? Either one would have produced the Grey Cup championship. And the single was probably the easier of the two. Just hoof it. I think uh, as Ryder fans at that time, we would have taken anything. Anything. Yeah. You know, I I remember um, right before, right before um, earlier in the game, Dave kicked a field goal that hit one of the uprights and bounced through for three points and another three inches and it goes the other way some of the tie cats maintained that the uprights were greased <laughs> but earlier in the game he'd hit an upright the only thing that could have gone wrong in that field goal attempt or that single attempt was to hit the upright and get nothing and i i remember thinking why don't they just blast the thing through the end zone and eliminate any risk of hitting the upright as happened in that game Dave was always money, so I think the confidence was there that he was going to hit it or at least punch it all the way through because he had a great leg. And, uh, you know, I think everybody loves the idea of being a kicker because you don't have to do much at practice until that no time on yeah. the clock. Let's make that kick like the kid in Chicago. Yeah, who who wants that job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at certain times? Um, the thing is, too, they called the timeout. Now it's fashionable for teams to ice the other team's kicker. The riders ice their own kicker. Like, nobody could really figure out why John Gregory called the time out there. I, just to relax everybody, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and all it did was, was create, uh, create a situation where Dave's asking Glenn Suter to say, uh, you know, 
Let's basically calm me down here. Get my mind, put my mind in a different place as opposed to trot onto the field. Hamilton can call a timeout if they wish, but let's just kick the thing. I, re- I remember uh, after the game, they were showing the, the highlight of the kick and asking John Gregory what was going through his mind. As And they showed John jumping up and down. And he said, boy, did I get great vertical after the kick. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was and Gary Greger right beside him. Yeah. It's like, okay, who is this guy? People started asking after the Great Cup, who is who is who is that uh, gentleman right beside John Gregory? Actually, it could have been a thirty-three yard field goal. They gotten the ball down to the twenty-six, and then they centered. They tried to, to tried to position the ball where where in an ideal spot for for Dave Ridgeway to kick it. So they moved it back two. So they lengthened their field goal attempt by two, and then they called a timeout. Both of them would seem to go against convention, but it worked. You know that drive was uh, is something to remember the the way we marched the ball down. Kent was in total control yeah. uh, of the field, and it was there was he was almost a calming influence. Uh, uh, you know when you watched him walk to the line, and you you, you saw his, his motions and his, his facial expressions. There was no way we were going to lose that game. No, Kent was uh, you know, and I saw it when he was a coach in, in two thousand seven. Where you know I would never bet against Kent Austin. He he's just got that magic with him, uh, and uh, you you feel that presence of uh, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to make it work. Just I just remember his presence in the field that day, even walking toward the the line of scrimmage or walking toward the huddle. It was just it was almost marching. He was so in control, and you have to remember it at that point. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that Kent Austin was the Riders' number one undisputed number one quarterback going into that game that's Pop, right he wasn't the he wasn't kent austin just yet that game made him kent austin that's right that tommy burgess came off the bench against edmonton and got us to the great cup and uh, and there was even a debate going into the week who should start because kent had hurt a knee against edmonton and john gregory decided early in the week that it was going to be going to be uh kent austin and it was appropriate the next year that tom burgess got to win a great cup with Winnipeg, with winnipeg too that was great to see because he got to he always felt sort of, as much as he felt a part of the 89 team and as much as he celebrated, he wasn't the guy in the Grey Cup game. The next year he got to be the guy and he was the offensive MVP in 1990 with Winnipeg. So I'm glad he got that moment because he was a terrific person. He was a great a terrific person. person. Yeah, when I got a chance to work with him when he came back, and you're right, first class guy, he really cared about his teammates and he put in a lot of effort. So it was good to see him have some success. Um I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about 2007. You saw that with a clarity and with a proximity that most people can only dream of. What are your What are your recollections when you think of, I guess, not only that game, which wasn't really that good, but that that season, which was magical. It was a great game. <laughs> <laughs> As I look back on it now, it was a great game. <laughs> I remember a couple of things. The one, uh, yeah, when Andy Fantu scored the first uh, touchdown, he had the ball in his hand like and a loaf of bread. Like, around. Put that damn thing away. I know. <laughs> you know, it, it was funny because I think everybody had the same thought. Put that ball away. But he, he had such big hands that it was wrapped around uh, – and the other thing was um, that uh, the presence, I, I was standing on the sidelines and to watch Kent again being in control and being able to keep Carey in control as well. And, you know, they did enough to win. And I guess my, my contribution to that win was I was the person that got to hand the lineup into the uh, to the CFL officials, something that Eric Tillman and I went over for about two hours <laughs> to make sure that everything was correct. And, uh, you know, it's a, it was a, a piece of history for a Saskatchewan kid to grow up 
and be part of a championship with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, it was really an honorable moment for me. And as as we've seen, the the importance of handing in the roster is not to be discounted. It cost the Rough Riders a player last year when they were in Edmonton because they handed in an incorrect roster. And earlier, a couple of years earlier, BC had uh, left uh, Paul McCallum off the roster and he wasn't able to play in the game. So absolutely that going through to make sure the import, non-import starters, uh, numbers and names are correct, is uh, it, it's a very important job. No doubt. I mean, you're a testament to the mm-hmm. excellence that... Uh, that uh, can be demonstrated in such situations. Yeah, I, I'm going to take credit for the game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, people would certainly remember your name if you hadn't if you oh, handed yeah. in uh, the incorrect roster. It's like being an offensive lineman. Eh? Nobody nobody knows who you are until you get caught for holding on a t- and they have to bring the touchdown back. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Kerry Joseph isn't playing today? <laughs> yeah, you know, Kerry gets a bit of a bad rap for that game. People say they won. People, I've heard it said that they the Riders won the Grey Cup in in spite of Kerry Joseph that day. He threw the touchdown pass to Andy Van Tuz at a crucial juncture. He rushed for, for more than 100 yards that day. People yeah. kind of forget that, okay, the passing wasn't the greatest. He was 13 for 34 with a, with an interception and a touchdown. But 100, 100 plus yards rushing, that's pretty huge. And the guts that Wes Cates showed as well playing playing with a broken foot. Uh, Wes Cates is one of my all-time favorite players. Uh, what people don't realize about Wes Cates is his skill set as a blocker. He made uh, so many plays as blocking that allowed Kerry to get the job done. And, uh, you know, uh, during the Great Cup game, I think Kerry did exactly what he needed to do to win, uh, using his legs a little bit, getting some things done with his feet. But Winnipeg was a good team. They had a very strong defense, and they schemed well against us. You know, I've heard it said, too, that Winnipeg wins that game if they had Kevin Glenn. It's a hypothetical. You never know. I've said in rebuttal to that, that, okay, Winnipeg didn't have Kevin Glenn, but the Rogers didn't have Matt Dominguez, who was leading the league in receiving yards at the time he was injured in Winnipeg in the Banjo Bowl. And so his stats at that point were better than Milt Stiegel. So if you take Milt Stiegel out of the Bombers lineup, it's the equivalent of the Rogers losing Matt Dominguez for the Grey Cup. They ended up starting Michael Palmer, Corey Grant, and uh, and Yo Murphy in the receiving core that day, along with with DJ Flick and Andy Fan too. So that's not a great receiving core. It would have been if they'd had Matt Dominguez. So yeah, the Bombers didn't have Kevin Glenn. Rogers didn't have their best receiver. Yeah, and that that makes a big difference, as you know, because you're able to take away those two key uh, re- receivers with Flick and uh, and and Fantuz. Uh, you know, I think that's what made uh, Getzlaff such a, a priority with the Saskatchewan Roughriders that he was a really good go-to third guy. Yeah, and and he, you know, you could double up the first two guys, but then Chris had the ability to get open all the time, and that's what made him such a success. I used to watch Chris Getzlaff. I, it's easy to watch the ball. I used to watch Chris Getzlaff run patterns. I loved watching his pass patterns. He was such a perfect route runner. He could do so much even with a with a wink or a nod or a, a, even a head fake. He, he ran just absolutely amazing patterns, especially that corner pattern. I used, I used to just take time out of games and if it was a passing situation i just watch chris, chris get slapped i might miss end up missing the whole play if they went to dressler or fantuz or somebody but i was always a fan of watching chris get run pass patterns i thought it was absolutely artful he he was a very dedicated to the game he was a professional on and off the field and the, the his draft year the regina ram coaches to their credit 
said that Chris Gatzlaff is the best receiver in the draft. Somebody needs to take him. He may not be ready today, but because of his work ethic and his abilities, he's going to be a CFL all-star. And they were absolutely right. The trade to bring Chris Getzlaff from Hamilton to Regina, that trade would not have happened if Getzlaff was not part of the deal. That was the uh, Corey Holmes for uh, Jason, Jason Armstead. Armstead. Uh, and uh, it was funny. That's, you, you talk about memories. That was one of my memories. Uh, Eric and I went to the airport to, uh, to, to greet the players because we thought Corey needed a ride. Uh, to uh, to the Luther College where he was going to stay. Little did we know the fanfare. I don't oh, know if you were I was, at the I was airport. there that night. Uh, and there was so many people there. With the, they had their, their Corey Holmes uh, dusted off jerseys. They had signage. And uh, they were all there for him. And uh, over on the other side, Chris and his, Chris's family was waiting for him. So it was kind of cool that we had the two components that uh, were going to bring us uh, championships. I remember Chris coming down the down the uh, escalator down the stairs and I interviewed him that night and uh, it was like there was really no competition for his time at that okay. point other than immediate family and I remember Eric Tillman saying at the time of the trade there's a lot of talk about Corey Holmes there's a lot of talk about Jason Armstead but the key to this deal is going to be Chris Getzlaff and I remember a Rams coach telling me just after the CFL draft that year I think it was the one in which Chris Bauman went number yeah. one Chris Bauman from the U of R Rams and one of the Rams coaches said Chris Bauman isn't even the best receiver on the Rams. It's Chris gets Chris Getzlaff. Yeah, and well, didn't that prove to be true? Very, very true. You know, and he was sure-handed. You could go to him in clutch situations. The quarterbacks loved him because they knew that if the ball was going to him, he, he was going to catch the ball. And it, you know, he had a deceptive speed and quickness where he could get away from somebody and, and take it to the house. On, on, and, and we saw that on many occasions. So, your favorite rider game be the two thousand seven Grey Cup? Or it the, it or is. The second one would be the two thousand seven Labor Day Classic, where Kerry Joseph did the draw play. It, uh, Sam, getting some emotion in my voice. That was an amazing game. What uh, what do you, what stands out? Uh, you know what? Uh, people staying in the stands, believing that we were going to win. Kent had installed a belief in our locker room that no matter what the situation was, we were going to win the game, and that started to filter out to the fan base. That. Uh, you know, Roy had put together a really solid base for our team, and Eric came in and closed it out. Yeah. And the uh, and with Kent Austin, I think that was the difference. Kent was a winner, and he he had a, a certain belief that hey, you know what, you can't beat me. Yeah. And he installed that in our team on uh, in in two thousand seven, and that was the 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 piece that tipped it over. Uh, and to this day, I'm uh, forever grateful to to Kent for uh, for bringing home a championship that I could be part of. And, and Roy Shivers deserves huge credit. As you mentioned, he set the table for that team. But he made one trade in 2006 that in which the Rough Riders acquired uh, quarterbacks who collectively took the Rough Riders to four Grey Cup wins, yeah. four, four, four Grey Cup games and two wins. Kerry Joseph in the dispersal, the number one pick in the Ottawa dispersal draft, and it's sort of a throw-in in that deal, somebody named Darian Durant. Yeah, you know what? That's a great story because uh, at that time, Darian Durant's agent was a friend of Roy Shivers. And he said, hey, you got to get my kid over there. you got to get my kid over there. So Roy worked that deal. Wow. He, he, uh, he, he trusted his friend to say, hey, this kid's got a ton of talent. He just needs uh, some time to develop. You need to bring him over. And, and you're absolutely right. I don't think Roy gets enough credit for... The, the pieces that uh, brought 
you know, two championships and a lot of winning seasons and really set the organization apart from other teams in the CFL. As you know, Darian's had a, a wonderful career in Saskatchewan and he did a lot of great things both on and off the field. He, a character guy. And, and, you know, Roy was the, the person that brought that character to Saskatchewan. And, and, and you're right, you know, he made the deals to get uh, Armstead and uh, Kerry Joseph. He traded some draft picks to, to make that deal happen with Hamilton. But to get two quarterbacks in one trade, that's really amazing. Yeah, you know, you if know, you it, take a look at that. That was just an absolutely crucial move. And there's teams in, in, in all leagues that are looking to find one quarterback, let alone get two people that, that will help you today, yet have that uh, that confidence that Kerry Joseph had to help the young guy along, right? So they, they had a great relationship. And uh, and you could see that, that as the seasons progressed, Darian took that, hey, I'm going to help the young guys. When he was hurt, he was able to help our young guys a little bit as well. Bit of a tangent. If teams don't fold, how many Grey Cups would the Rough Riders want? If the Montreal Alouettes don't fold right before the 20, 2000 and, pardon me, the 1987 season, there's no Dave Ridgway returning to Saskatchewan. There's no Dan Rasevich. Um, the Rough Riders benefited mightily from the folding of the Montreal Alouettes, and they benefited mightily from the folding of the Ottawa Renegades. So, thanks to those foldings, <laughs> Darian Durant, Dave Ridgway, Dan Rasevich, and uh, Kerry Joseph. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> speak of Dan Rasevich. Was there anybody more fearless on special oh. teams than Dan Rasevich? He was a Super Dave Osborne oh, of the Canadian my God. Football League. He wouldn't even tell you. His arm would be hanging down, and he wouldn't even tell people he was hurt. He'd be out there. Uh, he, he, and you know, he was a good community guy as well. I, with the Rough Riders, I did a lot of community uh, uh, organization, and he was one of our leading guys. And you know that, uh, and a great teammate. People loved playing with Raz because they knew that they could count on him, and they, that his effort was going to be all out every time. There was no quit. Oh, he just and there still isn't anything he does, whether it's doing, doing things uh, for, for to help childhood cancer. I mean, he's just as devoted to that now as he was to, to playing football. I, I did a story on Dan a couple of years ago. On uh, I sat down with him one day and I looked at his hands and a lot of his fingers looked like pass routes. And I said, "Can I do a story on your hands?" And we went through finger by finger. I think there's two of them that weren't. Uh, that didn't dem didn't show the ravages of playing football, and he told me a story behind how each finger became, and that's the kind of devotion that Dan Rastovich played with for so long and so well. I remember reading that story. That was and that, what a great story because it it really tells you the aftermath of pro football. Yeah. You know, we we see our heroes on the field playing, but we don't always see the uh, the effects of what they did on the field and and you know if you take a look at uh, Dan Rasevich's hands I just had breakfast with Roy Shivers not too long ago he just had his knee replaced from his playing days you know th these guys sell our, their bodies out to entertain us and and you know the, I give them a lot of credit because you know a lot of times once they've left the field that spotlight doesn't shine on them anymore but they remember the game because they're getting they're, they're having trouble getting out of the chair yeah i mean i'm my my right knee is arthritic in three places and that's playing touch football i don't know how people do that for a living and you know you look at the you look at the some of the surviving members of the 1966 team and the degree to which they're they're feeling it you uh, you know you some of the 89 rougherers i'm sure as they as they approach their 60s and 70s are going to Notice that it's uh, and and they didn't do it for a ton of cash. No, they did it for the love of game. I have a bad elbow, but it's buffet related. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, that'll be. Uh, I, 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 uh, I've my the effects of buffets are not necessarily <laughs> evident with my elbows, but more so with my jowls. So, um, my favorite rider game was uh, 1978 final game of the regular season, Ron Lancaster's final game. That to me was the greatest sporting event ever held. Meant nothing to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in terms of the standings. They were going to finish dead last. Uh, regardless, and uh, it meant nothing to the Edmonton Eskimos because they'd clinched first place in the West. But the week before against Winnipeg, uh, Ronnie had been booed in his final appearance at Taylor Field. He threw a couple of interceptions late in the game after coming in to relieve an ineffectual Larry Dick. And uh, Larry Dick had started the game because Ronnie had already said he was retiring and they wanted to groom his successor. So Larry Dick starts, doesn't play well against Winnipeg. Ronnie comes in, plays even worse, gets booed. It was awful. The next week, riders are in Edmonton, and, and my mom and I went boarded the not filled to capacity uh, Dash Tours bus to Edmonton, and uh, Larry Dick started again. Actually, played pretty well, uh, but the fans wanted to see Ronnie, and there were signs thanking Ronnie. And in the fourth quarter, the Eskimos fans started chanting, "We want Ronnie! We want Ronnie!" And there was about thirty of us in the end zone also joining in, but we were drowned out by tens of thousands of Eskimos fans who had similar sentiments. So they put Ronnie in. And uh, not long after that, he throws a touchdown pass to Joey Walters. Bob Macaridi's convert put the Riders ahead 27-26. Jim Germany fumbles. Riders recover. Ronnie marches him down again, completes the final pass of his career to Brian O'Hara. And then Ronnie snuck in for a touchdown that was an insurance major. And not long after that, Bill Baker sacked Warren Moon. Bill, ba- Bill Baker also playing his final game for a safety touch. And uh, I just thought it was just the perfect way for Ronnie to go go out. Just one more comeback, one more kind of finish for which he was known. And especially when you contrast that to the week a week earlier at Taylor Field, which was so sad. I'll, I don't, the Riders could win 20 more Grey Cups in my lifetime. They could have 20 more games like the Labor Day game in 2007. I doubt that they will. But nothing for me will top that 1978 game at Edmonton. The Ronnie's last game to me was storybook and it was beautiful and it was appropriate. And I still get a little, uh, I still get goosebumps even thinking about it. And I was 14 years old and I'm so glad I was there. That was just beautiful. It's amazing that uh, we have players like like Ronnie Lancaster that have done so much for this organization. Yet we have a fan group of fans that will boo uh, at that those 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 situations it's uh you know they don't sometimes i don't think we see the big picture no because you know, they booed him as a coach and they booed him as a as a player that's why he never came back as a general manager larry mueller tells the story <laughs> that he wasn't going to let him boo him as a general manager as well <laughs> <laughs> so some of my best memories of uh working with the rough riders over the 16 years are when uh hamilton or edmonton would come in and uh roy shivers and uh Larry Mueller and Ron Lancaster and myself would be sitting in their office and, and they would be trading stories oh, back and forth. Oh my and Larry goodness. and I would be laughing so hard just because of, well, you know how they are and the, the, what great storytellers they were. You know, uh, I learned a lot from those two gentlemen. Oh, can you imagine? Fly, oh. You were the fly on the wall. Oh, there. Yeah. yeah. Ronnie had a great quote. He said, it is. it used to be said that uh, uh, in Saskatchewan, the wind blows in the winter spring and summer and 
Lancaster blows playoff games in the fall. <laughs> was Ronnie saying that? Oh, he was a funny guy. I and miss you, Ronnie every day. Yes. Uh, you, you would have had an interesting look at things uh, with Bob Hughes. Oh. Right in Chaos by the Creek. Uh, you know, you, your mentor, he had a great way of writing uh, about the rider situation. And my understanding is that they were really close friends. They were friends. best of friends. And uh, <laughs> one time somebody asked Ronnie, like Ronnie, Bob just ripped the Rough Riders. And, uh, and, uh, somebody said to Bob, why do you, Ronnie, why do you still talk to this guy after you just finished ripping him? And, uh, Ronnie said, if I'd played better, he wouldn't have had to write anything. You know, there were times when, when, uh, it, there was a little bit of friction over that, but, uh, nothing that was enduring. They both understood where each other was coming from. They were absolutely dear friends. And I remember Bob the day Ronnie died, and it was just it was so. I'm not sure Bob ever got off got over that, and sadly we lost Bob five years later. Two two sports icons in Saskatchewan. You know, the third one would be uh, George Reed, and it is so honorable to oh. have him back in the province and all the work he's done since he's been back. You know, I, I it's uh, it, it's sad that we had uh, that he had left for so long. And, but for him to be back now and be uh, the kind of the, the crown jewel of the Rough Riders, that uh, uh, he's such a classy man. He does so much good work for Special Olympics and, and other charities. You know, uh, it's a real honor to have gotten to know him a little bit and, and uh, to have a chance to talk with him. Oh, he's amazing. I, uh, you know, it, you know, it just it wasn't long after Ronnie died that George moved back here. It was at the start of 2009 that George and Angie moved back back here from Calgary, and and George just picked up where he'd left off. At one point, he was involved with 47 different charities or community organizations. That's amazing. While he was playing, and on top of that, he was uh, he was working extensively with the CFL Players Association. I mean, just absolutely tireless. And, and I don't know if people realize what a great sense of humor he has. No, I, I was actually in a uh, a smoking uh, meat smoking class at Smoking Okies. Uh, and, and George and Angie were taking the same class and we had a hoot. They, they, he was a lot of fun. Oh, he's, he's, he's a, just, he's, it's, it's an understated wit, but yes. it's, it's there. And I just, uh, I just, I just cherish every chance I get to sit down with George and I've milked it so many times and just sat there and it's, it's just, I, Queen Elizabeth could come down and sit right next to me and I probably probably wouldn't be as as in awe as i am every time i chat with george and it was the same way chatting with ronnie i could never get past that his his personality just uh, enlightens a room you know he 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 takes to this day he takes time to talk football or whatever you want with him you know and, and that's a lot of i give him a lot of credit for that and he's so patient with people and and I remember the a couple on, on a couple of occasions he signed autographs as part of the Razor Reader Sports Memorabilia Show, and uh, the first time I I asked him I, I asked him if he could uh, spare an hour to uh, sign autographs, and he goes no, and you talk about his wit, and he goes no, and I'm kind of gurgling on the end of the phone. I go, George Reed said no, like you don't want to take it for granted, mm-hmm. but George Reed is famous for saying yes so anyways i make the request and he goes for an hour and he goes no and then there's silence and he goes i'll do two hours Uh and then he did two and a half and when he walked into the room without anybody saying george is here as soon as one anybody saw him everybody stopped and gave him a standing ovation who else can do that who else who lives in saskatchewan right now 
could get a standing ovation just by walking into a room other than Tony Plater. You. <laughs> just stand up to leave. <laughs> it's an evacuation. It's, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of really interesting you know, people come through the Rough Rider organization. You know, uh, some of my favorite coaches, one of my all-time favorite coaches, Ken Austin. Uh, second is Cal uh, Murphy. You know, uh, I know that you had to work with Cal. Loved it. Uh, and, and Cal was always, uh, you know, there's a man with a great sense of humor. Oh. And uh, hardworking and, you know, uh, we were lucky to have Cal. And uh, I, some of the training camps we had, we had a lot of fun. Uh, he's he phenomenal person, but he... And a good coach, but even a better person. And uh, you know, third was Don Matthews. Uh, I only really? got to what spend. Was that like? I only got to spend six months with Don Matthews. I started in September, and he left at the end of the year in '93. Uh, I learned a lot from Don. Uh, confidence, uh, ability to hey, we're going to win. I, I think he helped shape Kent Austin uh, somewhat that same way. And you know, the uh, his ability to say. What I loved about him as a coach, things were, were black and white. We're going to do this, and we're not going to do this, and he never wavered. As you know, there were times where things would uh, change during a season where a coach would say, okay, we're going to do this and uh, not do that. My all-time favorite Don Matthews story actually uh, in, included the media. He said, Tony, I need you to call a media conference at 1 o'clock and have him come to the President's Lounge, and I'll be in there. So at 12.50, I see him walking out the back door. I go, hey, coach, we got about 10 minutes. They can wait. I'm going for a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I never covered the riders when Don Matthews was here. I didn't start writing about them until 96 when I really ruined your life for a few <laughs> years. And, um, and uh, I missed out on that. Daryl Davis got along tremendously with Don Matthews. And there were horror stories elsewhere about Don Matthews' dealings with the media. But there's nobody in Regina where the spotlight shines the brightest and is the most intense who will, that I ever talked to about covering the Rough Riders and Don Matthews is here who has anything but terrific things to say about him. Yeah, you know, uh, my philosophy on, on, on a football coach is that they need to come here and win. They don't need to come here and be my friend. I want them to win. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we lose that if they're not a warm, cuddly personality. And, uh, you know, you talk about uh, Don's relationship with, uh, with Daryl. Uh, I remember Don coming in and putting uh, one of uh, Daryl's sons on the neg list. Leader post when he employee, was Austin Davis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he put him on the neg list the day he was born and then sent it to Daryl. That's the kind of, and he did so much work behind the scenes with Chili for Children. And, you know, but he wasn't the one to say, hey, look at me. He was here to win football games and do his part for the community. And I always felt that Don did things for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, he came in and, and he he cut Eddie Lowe. He cut Richie Hall. Well, you're not going to endear yourself to the fan base doing that. But he knew that he had to make some moves to win football games. You know, another another person that came in and made some tough decisions I thought was Roy Shivers. He he let some of uh, some of the other players go, uh Don Narcisse, Dan Farthing that uh, had had great careers with the Rough Riders, but he he realized that uh, you know to to reach the pinnacle that he wanted to take the team, he had to make some tough decisions as well. And you know Chris Jones faced that coming in here, one of his first moves or two of his first moves, farewell West and Dressler, farewell John Chick the following year. Darian Durant was traded. And uh, for the most part, the, the players that were released never approached the levels at which they produced during the peak years in Saskatchewan. Um, but 
there's still people who won't forgive Chris Jones for making any of those moves. And some of it was in the handling, too. There's no easy way to do it. But uh, sometimes you just don't build yourself much of a, a safety net if you handle things in a way that displeases the fans. Whereas winning is the bottom line, but I think at times if you do some things to really show that you're committed to the community and that you care and that you're you're uh, you're sincere, you can overcome a setback or two. And I point to Ken Miller. Um, how many coaches who lost a, a championship game in the manner that the Rough Riders lost a 2009 Grey Cup final would have even been around the next year? Can you imagine if, if an unpopular coach had been the losing coach in the 13th man game? Hmm. Goodbye. They probably wouldn't have even let him fly back with Calgary, with, from Calgary with the team. But Ken Miller was such a tremendous guy and, and left such an impression on people that he was applauded after that. And he coached the team for, for another season and a half after that. That could have been a career ender for some coaches, but because people got to know Ken Miller and they knew he cared and they knew, a, knew what a good man he is, that bought him, that, that was a huge mulligan, an unpopular coach. Can you imagine the vilification that would have taken place oh, after the 2009 Grey Cup? You're right. They wouldn't have let him back into the city. We would have built a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Mexico will pay for the wall. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and you're right about Ken Miller, a first-class guy. A couple, couple of funny stories that I have uh, about Ken was that uh, after 2007, uh, the Grey Cup, when we got uh, Christmas cards made, uh, with the Grey Cup and the team picture, and I was uh, the the printer had delivered them, and so I was taking them to the coaches, to so that they could send them to family and friends. And I said to Ken, "Hey, Ken, I got uh, some uh, some Christmas cards here, Grey Cup with championship Christmas cards for you to send to some of your friends." And he goes, "I think I'm going to send them to some of my enemies too." <laughs> <laughs> and the, the 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 players had such a respect for Ken and. What he stood for. There was a day at practice where I remember uh, his wife Maureen, who was the ultimate community person. Oh, what a great, great person! Fabulous lady, isn't she? Uh, and she had brought some of the disabled veterans over from uh, Wascana Rehab to watch practice. And uh, at the you know you know how you get into the big huddle after the game, and and, and Coach Miller said, "Gentlemen." There's some disabled veterans over there. I want some of you guys to go over and shake their hands. And what happened was from center field on, the guys lined up in a long line. And every one of them went out of respect for, for Coach Miller and for the service that these gentlemen had provided for us, uh, went and shook their hands. It, it was just a wow. heartfelt moment. I thought, wow, what respect for, for our coach and, and for the dedication that these, these gentlemen had put their life on the lines. There was a, both Canadian and, Amer and American players. Uh, that was long, that didn't matter, right? This, this is, uh, this is, this was, this was what was most important. And, and I think that was the kind of respect that Ken had for, uh, for the community as well as the, the respect the players had for Ken. And you know what was amazing, what is amazing about Ken and Maureen, it's like they were, it's like they grew up in Saskatchewan. They're, they're, they have, aside from the time that they spent here, they had no ties to this province, this community. Yet, they're, you instantly think of them as part of Saskatchewan. They're, they're living in North Carolina now. But, 
that they just they got it. Yeah. They they invested in it. They they made a really positive impact both on and off the field. Uh, you know the the charity work they did, I, and you know how you said that uh, George Reed never said no to an event. Ken Miller never said no to event an event either. Either him and Maureen, or both of them would go. And you know Maureen actually came back and volunteered at, at different events. Uh, I know. Uh, I'm a Red Cross volunteer, and Maureen showed me pictures of when she went to Texas and was volunteering uh, during one of the disasters that happened there. Uh, just quality people. And, you know, I think we're really blessed to have people that uh, can come to our community and have that kind of impact and make our lives better. I remember Ken Miller. We're going a little long on this one, but we've only got six hours to go on this podcast. <laughs> I remember one day. Uh, it used to work out really well where after practice, the players would do their interviews and Ken Miller would wait for the players to be done and he would address the media. And I didn't talk to the players as much as everybody else did. As a, as a columnist, I don't really need a ton of interviews. And uh, I'd leave it, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, the, the beat reporter needs the interviews more than I do. So I'd do an interview or two maybe. And then I'd, Ken Miller would be sitting by, by himself on the bench. So I used to go over and chat with him. And generally, I'd just it would crack me up. And one day he told me, um, this story about um, this letter he'd received regarding Darian Durant. The letter had been mailed on a Thursday, and this fan absolutely ripped Darian Durant to pieces. Just awful, should not be playing, terrible quarterback. You name it, that could, that could be negative, he said it. So the letter was mailed on a Thursday. It arrived on a Monday. Darian Durant had thrown for like, 400 yards and three touchdowns on a Sunday. <laughs> so he, Ken, Ken Miller tells me about this letter that, um, that he'd received. And you could just tell he was just itching for a premise to, for, to broadcast this. So we had this little chat off the cuff and then the scrum begins with Ken Miller and everybody asked the question. And right at the end I said, uh, you know, Darian, uh, had a tremendous game on Sunday. Uh, you know, do you have a kind of a feel for how the fans are responding to the way he's playing? <laughs> well, Ken Miller had one of the great spiels of all time in rider coaching history telling this story. And it was the easiest call of my life. <laughs> and he'd sort of planted it with me before. Just just a wonderful man. I still am uh, lucky to be able to keep in touch with Ken and Maureen every and now and then. He's a great artist. I don't know if you follow him on Facebook, but he yeah. actually shows some of the artwork that he does. Very talented man. Yeah. Very talented. As are you, Tony. It was a pleasure be, to be here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, you know, I, I think that this is a great way to, to share rider memories uh, because the, we were such a historic team. Uh, and uh, the work that you do with this podcast is awesome to, to bring back those memories and, and, and keep the past alive. Because I think a lot of times that... Uh, we're, we play in the moment now. Yeah. Right. And it's about, it's about the, the, the 2019 Rough Riders or the 2018 Rough Riders, but for the, them to be on the field and play, we have to go back and remember the people that helped with the telethons, the, the people that helped build the, the team up. And, uh, so I really appreciate you doing these type of things and, and sharing your knowledge, uh, of the, uh, the organization. Well, and I'm looking forward to your new book. Yes. Comes out in September. Uh, will be remaindered in October probably, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of a hundred cool things to know about the Rough Riders and, uh, some of the subject matter we discussed today. There's a chapter on Ken Miller and a chapter on Maureen Miller. 
Oh, that's awesome. In there, uh, for example. So uh, we have to read our little thing at the end. Would you like to read the thing at the end, Tony? Sure. Uh, please this is Tony Plater with the thing at the end. The thing at the end. Uh, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com. That's rvanstone at postmedia.com. And we might... What do you mean, might? might? We might read your question on the show. I think he should read your question. How enticing <laughs> can that be for people? We might read your question. Um, there's no might about will. we might have you back. We'd love to have you back. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. And it was a real pleasure to, to work with you in the media box because I always knew no matter what happened on the field, I'd leave the stadium with a smile. Yes, we did. We had some great laughs, didn't we? <laughs> As we did today for the, for the wonderful Tony Plater. I'm the non-wonderful Rob Vanstone and we'll do this again uh, next week thank you so much for joining us